Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Krista Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can contact us at info at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. on the podcast is our producer matt kelly we had a cancellation the day we were supposed to record and matt said give me five minutes and i can give you a full episode on new radicals and boy did he we get into why matt thinks the new radicals only album is one of the greatest records of all time as well as why you get what you give is one of the greatest pop songs ever composed Okay, Matt, so we're going to talk about the New Radicals, You Get What You Give, without a net. We don't even have notes on this. We didn't even need notes on it because you are probably the New Radicals' biggest fan. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm their biggest fan, but I think that the New Radicals are one of those rare groups that is a one-hit wonder because the lead singer wanted them to be a one-hit wonder. Their album, the album that this song is on, is the only album that was ever released by the New Radicals. Uh, It was ranked on a bunch of lists as like one of the greatest albums of all time. It's on like the 1001 albums you should listen to before you die. Really? Yeah. But immediately after the single blew up, the lead singer decided that he didn't really want to front a band and just wanted to be a professional songwriter and broke up the band. Okay. So there was never any follow up singles or anything. It was this came out 
And then the band broke up. My experience was I always knew the song. I liked the song and had that little catchy rap where he, you know, throws some insults at Beck and Hanson. But I found them through Scrubs. A lot of the other songs from that album appeared as like closing credit songs in episodes of Scrubs. Like there's a song called uh, Mother Just Can't Get Enough. And just like the opening guitar riff of that song. this should be the biggest song in the world. Why have I never heard this before? <laughs> so like it made me dig into the rest of their, their 12 songs that they put out and it's really, really good. Wow. I didn't like this song at all when it was out. I found it annoying. And now when I hear it, I'm like, Oh, it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I, I didn't like it at all when it came out then. I remember it being out. I remember the guy's stupid hat in the music video. I remember a lot of things about it, but I just didn't dig it. But now I think it's pretty good. I'm going to say one further than that. You know, we've had past episodes where we talked about like Duncan Sheik, where we talked about how that's like the greatest one hit wonder of all time. And I think that the song You Get What You Give is a perfect pop song. Hmm. I think that it's one of those songs where when I listen to it, every instrument is putting in 100%. Like it's got a really catchy piano hook. It's got a driving bass line. It's got a, just the drum beat is like, like everything is like playing at the exact right power. The guitar solo is perfect. Like the, the lyrics are way cooler than you would imagine when you're just like kind of listening to it. The rap, the infamous rap was actually a, a social experiment that the lead singer had put together. You told me about this before and uh, it was something I never thought about before. And then you told me the story of it and actually made me like, probably what I didn't like about the song was it, it was like this list of artists and bands where it just felt dumb, like a dumb rap part in a song or yeah. something. But, but when you explain it to me what it was, then it sort of, Completely changed my opinion of it. Yeah. So the so the the full rap is health insurance ripoff flying FDA and big bankers buying fake computer crashes dining cloning while they're multiplying the fashion shows with Beck and Hanson Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson they're all fakes run to the mansion come around we'll kick your ass in but according to Greg Alexander lead singer. He had written this section of the song as a test. He wanted to see whether the media would focus on the important political issues that he was talking about in the first part or just focus on the celebrity dissing. Right. And that's all anybody ever talked about in that part was he threw some shade at at Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson. Right. Okay. Well, that's a testament to what I thought about. It's not that I cared that he was saying anything about those people. It was more just like, uh, you're just naming these people that are on the radio or whatever. And I wasn't feeling it, but I didn't know what the, the part before it, I didn't even know what he said there. I think that the opening line is one of my favorite opening lines of any song. And I think about it a lot. It's wake up kids. Cause we've got the dreamers disease. 
Uh-huh. There's certain song lyrics where I think that there's so much that you can analyze just about like that. Like I just think that line "We've got a dreamer's disease" is a fucking awesome way to just say like we're a generation of dreamers, and that's kind of a crazy concept. You and I, and hopefully kids still today, have that sort of dreamer's disease of way of looking at things. I watched. I sent it to you. Yeah, a 2016 documentary called Hypernormalism. It was made by the BBC and it's worth the watch. It's long, but it's Did worth every it? second. Oh yeah. I watched all three hours. The okay, yeah. And I thought it was interesting how they talked about how in America we grew up like, yeah, dream big, be what you ever you want to be. And they talked about how in Russia that now that was not a thing. Like you didn't think that way. You didn't think that like you could follow your wildest dreams and and accomplish your goals and be whatever you want to be that wasn't something you were taught as a kid so i think that kind of relates to this yeah you know we in america we all have the dreamers disease i think that this is a, a fun little element that we do sometimes on the show sometimes we don't but sitting down and doing like a lyrical breakdown i think most people it's kind of one of the songs you're just like da 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 like you don't know the words you just kind of like mumble along right. with the melody. So it's wake up kids we got the dreamers disease. Age 14 they get you down on your knees so polite and we're busy still saying please. That's like some heavy ass shit right there to me. Like you and I have just talked about that in the sense of like like I like that that rhyme scheme of they get you down on your knees which is never a good thing but we're so polite we're still saying please. Like there's that aspect of it all ties into that same thing with the dreamer's disease. Like there's this desire to, to succeed, but you want to be like a good person. And sometimes you like allow people to treat you like shit and you kind of have that, please, sir, can I have another attitude towards it? Because you're too afraid to like stand up for yourself. Right. And you and I are both those kind of people. (laughs) We've talked about that a little bit today, but honestly, in a time we're living in now, don't you think that if that's what he's getting at with these yeah. lyrics, that being polite is maybe a good thing that people are starting to not be so much? Yeah, no, it's definitely <laughs> but, something that's going away. <laughs> yeah, which isn't so great. I think that being polite is great. And I think there's definitely situations and people that don't deserve politeness. But I think anytime someone has an attitude that they're better than everyone else that's not a good thing no no not at all i want to jump to the second verse okay because i want i want to think about the verses first and then we're going to focus on the chorus okay because i think the chorus is where the song really succeeds so the second verse it's 4 a.m we ran a miracle mile we're flat broke but we're doing it in style which i also really like that line we're flat broke but we're doing it in style (laughs) which is sometimes you don't got money but you know how to make it look good right Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) but now we get to the chorus And what it leads into is when the night is falling and you cannot find a friend, you feel your tree is breaking, but then just then you get the music in you. You don't let go. You've got that music in you. One dance left because this world is going to pull through. Don't give up because you've got a reason to live. You can't forget. We only get what we give. So the way that I've always analyzed this song and even with the bridge is that to me, this song is like a tribute to how much music pulls people out of shitty fucked up situations where like we've talked about this a million times where you are 
at your lowest, but you've got that song that if you put that song on, it gives you that second wind. Like that one dance left, this world's going to pull through to me is you're getting a second wind. You're back up. You're ready to fight. You're going to go places. Right. I like that sentiment. That's really good. You and I, both huge music fans, obviously. And of course, music has helped me other than the people close to me in my life. I I wouldn't say music helped me more than the people I'm close to in my life, but very close behind music is the thing that has helped me the most at my lowest. And so I like the sentiment of the song. What I would question, (laughs) if I have to be a naysayer a little bit, is songs about music. (laughs) Is writing a song about music too meta? Is it too like... It's sometimes. I think it's definitely a thing that could be considered meta a little too much. Okay. That being said, yeah. I agree with it. It's a nice sentiment to the song, a song celebrating itself. <laughs> yeah. It's such an interest. That whole album is a very interesting album and the name, maybe you've been brainwashed too. It's a thing where it's like, I, I dance between that line of like feeling like it's really cool and also feeling like it's a little too much biting the hand that feeds you in the sense that like the album is a very poppy arena rock ish type album that's about the evils of the music corporation, which is like the song. Maybe this, uh, maybe you've been brainwashed too, is literally just noise rock for five minutes. Like he has no lyrics in it. He's just rambling and yelling stuff as the entire track. The whole point is that like, if you look at the lyric books, it's like just a long manifesto about like the evils of like selling your soul to a music corporation. Wow. Like it's a weird trippy ass album. With him just sitting on the cover with his stupid floppy hat that he was wearing in the music video. Yeah, I guess <laughs> what I wasn't feeling so much, or maybe I thought that this, you get what you give. I always thought it was a very sarcastic song. You're getting a message of, a very positive message out of it. Yeah. And what I took from it, not really ever breaking down the lyrics or anything the way you have, I always took away a very sarcastic tone and it kind of lends itself to your point about, yeah, this, is it a band or is it just a guy? It's mostly just a guy who did all of it. And then he formed a band and then was like, I'd rather write songs. And he did actually have, I'm trying to find like a list of everything he wrote. because I know that he was a pretty successful songwriter. Uh, but the biggest thing for him was he did win a Grammy. Uh, he wrote the song Game of Love for Michelle Branch Dude! and Santana. Dude, <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I feel like wow. that's like a common theme with this show is that these guys go on to like be really prolific songwriters with Grammys or producers. I love that song. That song's probably one of the best Michelle Branch songs. And she's got a lot of bangers, but I love that song. Well, both of the songs of Mich- Michelle Branch and Santana are another dynamic duo, which we've talked about yeah. before on here. Like put Drake and Rihanna together, put Ben Folds and Regina Spector together, put these people together. They're always going to make something awesome. Michelle Branch and Santana are unstoppable because they also had, yeah, I'm trying to remember what the other one is. Oh, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling, okay. I was like, I know that there's another which one. Which I actually like, I'm feeling you even a little bit more, but the game of love is a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, oh so what good. What a gem. And now that you, now, 
when you tell me that the guy who wrote you get what you give also wrote that ah, <laughs> yeah didn't you come around no more yeah that's so that's so him yeah that's so like i can totally see that guy who wrote you get what you give writing those melodies wow dude that's awesome so he wrote a song that i don't this doesn't really count it was covered by covered by mandy moore and hollow Oates, which is an incredible duo was what would have been their second single called someday we'll know uh which was made famous because it was uh sung by mandy moore on the walk to remember soundtrack wow This, this is one of those albums where I listen to it very often. I listen to it regularly. There's, I can say maybe five or six songs where I'm like, these songs stand out so much on this record. And like, it is a travesty that people probably either just bought the single because 1998 was definitely prime buying the single era of, uh, you know, grabbing. I, I may have had this on Kiss Single at one point, I'm sure, because I was, I was a bigger Kiss Single than CD Single. You were still buying cassettes in 1998. Yeah, sometimes. Jeez, I stopped buying cassettes in 90. <laughs> <laughs> but the like, there's a song. Uh, the I think it's the. I'm pretty sure it's the closing track. Is called "Crying Like a Church on Monday." It's just a breakup song. But the the analogy is, uh, you've got me crying like a church on Monday, wondering if anyone will come back again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was like, I never in a million years would have thought of the analogy of like, oh yeah, everyone goes to church on Sunday, but it probably the church is really bummed that no one's there Monday morning. Like if it was like a sentient being that yeah, had feelings. Can, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> like just weird, dumb, trippy stuff like that. Just like the whole record. It's such a seventies like want to be. And I think that that's why I... I do really believe that this song is one of the best pop singles that's ever been written. And I'll, I'll die on that hill. I'm happy to die on that hill because I, I love, I've noticed in my years, I love me a good driving piano part. Yeah. You know, yeah. We talked about closing time. Same thing. It's just a do, 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 like that piano piece. The song that got me into punchline was very piano driven. Ben folds is like top musician. One of the top musicians for me. You, you put a good piano riff into a song, Matt Kelly's there. Yeah, and I'm, I am I feel the same way. I love the piano. I think it's... Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. 
On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. I, I wish I would have stuck with piano lessons as a kid. It's my favorite way to hear a song, especially stripped down. Yeah, piano in the mix, like the way that Ben Folds 5 did it or 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 Elton John does it. That's great. But but this one's just a driving riff. Right. But I think the production on this is... We've talked about before, like you listen to songs, or maybe I'm quoting something from Krista Makes, to be honest, but sometimes you listen to songs and you can hear the product, the extra attention to production that was put into it because they knew that this was going to be sent to the radio stations. Oh, yeah. I've talked about on, on here, I talked about on the, the Blind Melon episode yeah. that when you listen to the album, No Rain just seems to sound a lot more produced, a lot bigger than the rest of the songs. And I don't know. And I think that's, Probably intentional. For sure. I, I think that they knew what they had. But right. I, I think when I listen, like, I'm not a musician, but certain times I will listen to songs. And like, this is one of those songs I think was one of the first times where I was listening to a song and I was really thinking, man, there's a lot of moving pieces in this. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of moving pieces in this song. Because <laughs> for a long time, especially growing up on like punk music, as a kid, it's like, yeah, you plug in the guitar, you play your three chords and you get out of there and you don't really think about like layering in like a guitar, putting in like kind of an ambient sound in the background or like a piano riff or like is the drums doing more than just literally bass snare and, and hi-hat to like drive the song quickly. And this was one of those songs that even when I was at the peak of like listening to punk music and listening to grunge music you've talked about how there's occasionally songs that kind of break through the the wall that you build for yourself and this was absolutely one of those songs where like i remember this was, i was still not old enough to drive so i this was a frequent me and friends riding bicycles with like a speaker on our bikes to keep tunes playing while we were riding our bikes and this was this was big on the bicycles wow <laughs> that's pretty cool you had a, a musical bicycle crew oh yeah yeah there's nice. a crew of three of us that kept saying we were going to form a band but first we had to learn instruments right and we never we never <laughs> finished step one so yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing ever came from it the thing that's kind of interesting about pop music you're saying this is like one of the greatest pop songs are you saying greatest pop songs or greatest pop one hit wonders or, or what's i'm saying pop songs i'm saying even removing one hit wonder from the equation like probably the only downside to the fact that we are just diving into this without a net is that you haven't had a chance to really refresh the song in your head to listen to it from that analytical side. Mm-hmm. We pause recording for a quick second just so I could play the intro for Chris. And you hear yeah. what I'm talking about? There's like 14 different things happening yeah. in the first like five minutes. Of it's, great. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's it great. Is, it is really, really good. Once again, I've talked about this so many times, but when it came out, I was too cool for probably too cool for it in my own head. But now I look back, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's great. It's it's a great song. And the criticism probably, and I feel like this was my own criticism of it. And the way I thought as a young idiot (laughs) is that pop music is just like this very simple, basic thing. And that anybody can do that. And, and that's the attitude like, Oh, anybody could write that sort of, well, the fact of the matter is, set out to write something yeah. that is 
a pop gem, a pop hit. Pause the podcast right now and take a few minutes and try to do that. Try to write something that is so catchy and you'll you'll discover it's not quite as easy it's like, as you think it is <laughs> well it's, and like again to to bounce just to like the beginning of that right. like i can't help but think about and i have no experience in this so i need you to give me your own perspective on it from your experience in recording studios i firmly believe that that first 30 seconds of that song as like all of these elements are falling into place wasn't written like that I yeah. think he had an idea of like this is the this is the song and it starts with this guitar part and then as he's working on that in the studio he's like well what if what if we have a little bit of like an ambient guitar plan what if we just have like a simple drum beat for a couple seconds and what if we just put like a like and just all of these pieces falling together and then all of a sudden it's like and it's just going to be these weird noises that build to this explosion that is the full band like hitting the stage essentially right <laughs> has punchline ever had something like, like have you ever had a song where like you had like the basic structure of like this is how the song starts this is like the verse this is the chorus but then as you're like recording it you're like you know what like i think we can fuck around with the the beginning of this to like give it a little bit more of a build into that first moment where the song kicks off absolutely <laughs> every I, I i like to think that in one way or another every song which i mean a lot of that stuff might be sorted out in the writing and the practice space but yeah once you get into a recording studio you're thinking about that stuff all the time how to make an impact when the song when the song hits you yeah <laughs> you know and and that's definitely an, an important thing and you want to grab people's attention right off the bat especially now more than ever people have short attention spans and have access to all the music in the world they're not committed to a cd to like see it out yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah for sure man it's i remember um my friends were in a band that was always like they never blew up but they were this band racing kites that like played warp tours and bamboozles but they never got a record label they never really blew up as big as they could have and I remember when they were recording their first EP, which I feel like if you're like, I'm doing that, I want to do this as a profession, that first EP, you're putting a lot of thought into mm -hmm. it. And I happened to find my copy of it. And I was like, oh, I'll listen to this on my drive to, to Pittsburgh. So I popped in the CD and I was flooded with all these memories of like hearing the original demos of four of the six songs that ended up on the EP and realizing the little things that they changed to make it pop just a little bit and i remember like one was like one of the songs had like a guitar riff that played for a couple seconds and then stopped and then the whole band kicked in mm -hmm. and like on the actual album the guitar riff plays for a couple seconds and it does a do noise right. <laughs> instead like it was like little things like that where i'm like man I know that that happened in the studio. There was never a point in my friendship with them where they're like, yeah, the music's going to come into this weird, like, do noise. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, of course you have production elements and that's, <laughs> it seems like this, you, you get what you give song. It, it's got so much production. <laughs> yeah. So, so much over the top stop. Every, every element of this is, it is over the top. Everything about it, that that lead that kicks in when it starts and that, yeah, the piano, the drum beat, the, the memorable lyrics, everything about this song is really over the top, it, for sure. Yeah, nothing subtle about this song. There's nothing subtle about it. And I think that that's what makes it so great because like you said, like 
yeah, there's this terrible misconception that like writing pop music is easy, which is like, as you've already said, the most incorrect sentence a human has ever uttered and all it takes is like five minutes of picking up a guitar and deciding you're going to write a hit song to figure out how hard it is to write a hit song. Right. But like, I love that he wrote a hit song. He probably knew he wrote a hit song. The record label probably knew he hit a hit wrote a hit song because they wanted to make sure that this song sounded as perfect as possible. And what could have just been a song that kicks right in he was like, well, I want to do a bunch of weird shit right before the song actually starts. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty undeniable. Yeah, the build up at the beginning, you paused our recording and played me it on your <laughs> through your phone just as a reminder. And and yeah, that build up at the beginning is great. And when that kicks in, that's a that feels good. And I, I can't imagine being in the studio recording that listening it listening to it back on studio speakers. Which for anyone who's listening who doesn't play in a band or has any point at any point recorded in a recording studio. When you hear a mix back in studio speakers for the first time, it is like the best sounding thing ever, <laughs> especially if it's early in, in, well, no, it's, it's always, I was going to say early in your musical career. Or nah, whatever, I think you're but still it's excited. Always, <laughs> yeah. It's always when you first hear a, at least a, a, a rough mix back for the first time with everything in it, with all the elements plugged in and you're hearing it back and you're hearing what, what was once just an idea yeah, on a guitar or a piano or whatever it is that turned into an all out production. That's like a, a magical moment. And when you listen to you get what you give, you could tell that that moment when that kicked in after that intro, when they heard that back in the studio speakers, they were probably like, oh, yeah. So I don't know if New Radicals, because they did break up so quickly. I don't know if they ever even played a live show. Like for all I know, they were like a, a studio band that like never went anywhere and, and never played a single live event. But that song is one of the few songs where every time I hear it, there's that one, two, three, ow, and like the whole thing explodes. Every time I hear that, I can, in my head, imagine a live band. Right. This is like either the first song or the song, the first part of the encore, and you hear all the production going on, lights are off, and you get that one, two, three, ow, and it's like lights kick on, and right. it's just a stage filled with people like rocking out. Like, right. And it's so rare for a recording to give you that visual right out the gate. But right. like, I think that that like it is one of the most commanding, like sending the song into hyperdrive. Yeah. Moments. You, dude, you keep calling it a band, but I felt like I've always been under the impression that it was called new radicals. And that was funny. Cause it was just that one guy. I mean, it, I'm sure he had studio musicians okay. and stuff, but yeah, it, it was Greg. It was Greg Alexander. Like, yeah, yeah. I'll say band. I'm, I'm sure that if they toured, it wasn't just going to be Greg Alexander on a stool with a guitar. I only say that. <laughs> I only say that because I've all, that seems to be the one thing I don't know much about new radicals, but I was, that was like the one thing I knew. I always knew is like, Oh no, it's not a band. It's just that one guy. He just calls himself new radicals. Yeah. That's like the thing I knew about <laughs> new radicals. Yeah, it was uh, like a rapper. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was the new radical. Right. I gotta, I guess I gotta dig into this album. You've really hyped it up. I, I, after we're done recording, I'm going to play you the opening track. Cause I, I love the opening track. Nice. That's, that's what got me to buy the whole record. But, uh, 
Nice. Because I still buy physical media, as Chris knows, and everybody makes fun of me about. How many DVDs do you think you have? I already know because I keep a tally in wow. case... I, in case I, someone asks you this question on a podcast? No, in case... This was so dumb, but my friend told me this like 15 years ago, and I, I just assumed it was true, but he was like, you have a lot of DVDs. If there was ever a fire, you would probably want to have a list of everything for insurance purposes. Wow. So I have a running list. It is 3,500 DVDs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> do you have them all in the cases or do you have them in all in cases in bookshelves running across the entire basement wall alphabetized? <laughs> <laughs> I love how crazy you are. <laughs> I learned a little bit more about how crazy you are every episode. <laughs> and what about CDs? CDs, I have more than DVDs. Wow. I think the CDs are probably like 6,000, but I don't have, like, they're just in tubs right now right. because. One you don't day, have a wall big enough. <laughs> no. Well, one day I want to. One day I would like the same way that people have like. So here's the thing. My grandfather was probably like the biggest influence in my life. And he had this basement. And I don't know what happened to these now. And it bums me out. But he had this basement where you walked into it. And it was like. I'm going to say say your entire wall here was just record shelves, mm -hmm. just a wall of records, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of records. Right. And I would just stare at, like I would just look and stare at the wall and like would just randomly, if I was bored hanging out at his house, would just like pull out a random record and just look, read the back, like re yeah. just... Because cool. he, he listened to like a lot of like New Orleans jazz and, and polka music and like all types of, you know, stuff that grandparents would listen to in, right. in the 80s and 90s. But... I just would pull out, I pull out a record and look at it. I, that's he introduced me to so much of like the goofy music that I like. Nice. I have a cassette tape that he made me because I got into Weird Al Yankovic. Right. As any child does, the second Weird Al puts out a single and they're old enough to be cognizant of like music. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so like Amish Paradise came out, I was like, this guy's awesome. So first he made me a cassette of Frank Yan Frank Frankie Yankovic polkas, which I was not wow. into that much. But he he knew who Weird Al was enough to know that I like silly stuff. So he made me this cassette tape that is like Spike Jones and the City Slickers and um, Stan Freeberg and all of these guys who were like the cutting edge of comedy in the like 1920s. Like if you pull up a video of like Spike Jones and the City Slickers, it's the most insane thing you've ever seen. Hmm. Like it's this 20 piece orchestra where like one guy's instrument was the gun and he huh. just like would fire a gun in the air. But like it was all supposed to be wacky. It was these absurd things where they would take a beautiful song like you always hurt the one you love. Right. Which like thanks to Blue Valentine, like everybody knows that song, but they would cover it and it was always the same structure, which was that they play the verse one time seriously and then all of a sudden chaos ensues. So it'd be like mm -hmm. just an acoustic guitar and someone singing it beautifully. And all of a sudden a bunch of gunshots go off and it's like banjos and trombones and tubas playing like this wacky ass weird song. And they're like purposely singing in a weird operatic voice over top of it. And it was just really bizarre music. And like, that was my shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was nice. very invested in those tapes. Nice. So you had in it, you definitely. I had a collector's mentality yeah, from that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you saw that's, that's a good story. That doesn't make me think you're so crazy anymore. That makes me think that's actually pretty sweet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's actually really nice that you were influenced. Now, I, I didn't really have that, that, in, that influence of 
someone with a giant collection of anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always give a lot of credit to my grandpa and it, it's a, it's a bummer. You know, we'll get real for a second. It's a, it's a bummer. Cause like my grandfather was the first person I ever lost in my life. Mm-hmm. And he was like, the also kind of the first person to be like you're a little different i'm going to give you extra attention right so like it always bums me out that it's like i wasn't even old enough to drive and like man my teenage years i really could have used a person who was like you're a little different i want to give you extra attention because like teenage years were a struggle not having right like some type of guiding force during that time yeah i just remember he had his he had the basement filled records and then he had his own little private music room it was just like a little loft and you know i didn't really hang out with my cousins that much so he'd be like oh come hang out in the music room and he would either just be playing his banjo or he'd like put on a record he'd be like i think you would really like this record and he would like nice. play me a record That's he had a great. little tv where he'd be like you don't know mel brooks let me put on the young frankenstein for you like just nice. want it to share media. And I think that that's why it's funny when you like think about things when you were a kid and then you look back and it's like, well, of course I host a bunch of podcasts about obscure media because like I was raised on like this person who loved to share weird media with people. Right. And like, I want to do the same thing. I want to yeah. show people a weird TV show or a weird movie or tell them that the new radicals is the best band that they never you know heard. what I would say about that man. You get what you give. <laughs> Because they brought the thunder. Yeah. Will you give it to him? I'll give him the thunder. This is a great, <laughs> this is a great song. I'll dig deeper. This, this song definitely brings the thunder. Lo- looking back, didn't like it at the time. I, I, I'll give it a thunder. For for your sake, yes. you, I'm not... I'm I not, had a lot riding on it, so yeah, I appreciate yeah, I'm not, that. <laughs> I'm not going disag- to disagree real hard with my producer, especially if he loves it this much. And we're, and we're talking, when we're talking uh, lovingly about your grandfather... <laughs> Uh, if, we, if we get to that point, well, I, that would be a real dick move of me to say this is a blunder. <laughs> I mean, if you did, I would just never release the episode. Yeah, so. yeah true. <laughs> All right, man. That was good. Learn your lesson. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing play off Punchline's Rewind EP. Visit punchline.com for more music and merch. Matt and Chris have a new company called We Know Podcasting. If you've always wanted to host a podcast but didn't know how to get started, wanted feedback on your current podcast, or just need someone to edit your shows, we're here to help. Visit weknowpodcasting.com for more information and rates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grace Street.